The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. I want my kids to know that I didn't just sit there and take it. I did something. We have three days to look and move like a team of men. The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Aislinn Addington. And I'm Tobin Addington. And here we are with a another attempt to Take talk two. about this movie. <laughs> it's not a sequel, but mm-hmm. it is a, it's a remake. <laughs> it's our remake. It's our reboot, that's for sure. <laughs> our reboot of our episode about Widows. The 2018 movie that not enough people saw by a million miles. Right. Uh, Isaac, do you want to tell the listeners at home why we decided to do this movie again, even though we tried before and our equipment failed? Sure. But first, speaking of equipment, I must tell people that for the first time in Contenders (laughs) history, we can see each other and I'm finding it wildly unsettling. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It is very strange because I'm looking sometimes at you, sometimes at myself because we're both on the screen. Well, yes. my screen. I don't know. Do you have yourself on your your screen? Too? It, it is. It has. A, I haven't played with it to see if I can change that. And it really is par for the isolation core um, here because <laughs> yes. I have spent an average of four hours a day in this type of thing. Oh, easily. One thing that's also weird is that we get we're on some of the same text chains and I see my text light up and then your eyes go down to yours. And I'm yeah. just guessing you're seeing this. This is so strange. We're trying new a new app to record our podcast in hopes that it will. Uh, I don't know. Be and cooler. a number of people are trying their reply all function. <laughs> yes, they are. They're all pretty familiar with it, though. They are. OK, so, yes, we this is how good this movie is. This is how important this movie is. And this is how strong my feelings for a number of the actors in it are. That we are coming back to it as we recorded it. We felt good about our conversation. I don't remember much of it. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> um, but we felt good about it. And yet the equipment failed us. It was not salvageable. Um, and rather than do a different movie, I would, I mean, we agreed, but I, yeah, I, yeah. I for one feel like we, we do want to continue to highlight this film. Like you said, not enough people saw it. Um, I, I'm not saying it's going to be greatest showman in terms of its <laughs> um, rental legacy, but mm-hmm. if we can spike those numbers up a little bit, I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I had thought about I, I sort of anticipated us doing a different movie and then you suggested we do this again. And immediately my brain went, oh, of course, that's exactly what we should do. Uh, if for no other reason than to get more people to see the movie. So absolutely. Um, and because 
of all the things I mentioned that I like about it, um, it also um, soothes the wound of Mulan not coming out. Yes. I was like, I was in, I understand this is not the biggest issue going on in the world right now. Sure, sure. But I, I was in the countdown phase. I was ready. Um, and I'm, I'm bummed. And uh, for a lot of projects, and I, I think a lot of people likely feel they've lost momentum with something they were doing mm-hmm. in light of what's going on. And, um, and certainly I, I am concerned about the Mulan trajectory. Yes. It's funny because we can now we can see to the do hand know. gestures, but that doesn't translate. And that's the problem. It doesn't help other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right because we were supposed to be talking Mulan. No, we were going to do it next month because it would have just come out, right? I thought I it think, was one back. I thought it was end of March, but remember. I could be wrong. In oh any God, case, no, you're right. We're in April, not March anymore. Oh no. man. Okay, like, yeah, you're right. We would be talking about Mulan right now. Oh, bummer. Should we just talk about the cartoon? <laughs> you know the cartoon a lot better, but I know the trailer for the live action back and forth. I bet you do. Uh, but yes, yeah. We, so yes, sad we can't talk about Mulan. Yeah. Um, so I originally watched Widows for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard of it. I believe you had drawn my attention to at least the trailer um, for Viola Davis, for uh, Michelle Rodriguez, and just because it looked... It looked really good. It looked slick, mm. but I also feel like it it may have suffered from how do we market this? Mm. Um, remind me because I don't remember. <laughs> Had you seen it before? Or did you watch it for the podcast? I watched it for the podcast, but I, my relationship with it goes back uh, mm. uh, a ways. I'm sure I sent you the trailer as soon as it dropped when it was at the Toronto Film Festival. The first people who saw it at Toronto were in 2017, I think this would have been, were like talking about it being Oscar, that it was amazing, mm-hmm. that it was the like people had, were, at, were not just saying it was going to be nominated, but it was going to win. They were pr- predicting how many Oscars is this going to win? This is a movie um, directed by Steve McQueen, not the famous actor from the 60s and 70s, uh, but the man who um, most recently or most notably had directed 12 Years a Slave to Oscar success. And so because of that, the pedigree there and the fact that it's a Gillian Flynn script um, with him, they co-wrote it together, uh, that that it had a real sort of Oscar pedigree. So I was on my radar. I was excited. And then it came and went in the theater in like three weeks. I mean, I think you're totally right. It was they didn't know quite what to how to market it and is this an you know in the, the end of the, in the reductive thinking of of hollywood sure. marketing is this a action movie that women quote unquote women will go see right. <laughs> is like will men come to this action movie or this like crime drama about women like mm-hmm. and and so it gets lost i think it got lost in that um uh sort of back and forth a little bit so i so i so i pre-ordered the dvd <laughs> i i bought the, i bought the dvd and uh but i had never watched it until mm. uh getting ready for our podcast two months ago and uh were there extras on the dvd i'm just curious okay so here's the other thing is that i the DVD came or the Blu-ray came with an online code. So I watched oh. it on line, like on online Amazon. Gotcha. So I have not, I've not checked to see if there are any extras that I feel bad. Cause I should have, I had a whole other 
two months to do this. I didn't do my homework. I should have. You can take that out. That's fine. Man, um, I'm embarrassed. It's okay. No shame here. I okay. just love. Okay. Um, let's focus on things that we know. Okay. Okay. I think For sure. you know two bits of film history here. I do. The the first one I I, I uh, was a shock to me. I knew it was based on a novel because it like says that in the, in the credits. What I did not know is that it was based on a novel that had already been made for the screen. It was a miniseries in the UK in the 1980s. Um, and by the look of the like posters and like there's real 80s hair going on uh, uh, in it. Um, and then uh, so I knew it was a book, but I hadn't known it had also been a miniseries it had already been shot. Um, and then the other bit of film history is that Jen Jennifer Lawrence was apparently the first choice for the Elizabeth Debicki role, which we'll have to talk about as we get into it, because she, I think, so owns this role. It's hard to imagine anybody else playing that part and what that would have done to the dynamics of the cast. I'm excited to talk about. But speaking of the cast, Island, could you take us through the ladies in charge, women involved in major roles in Widows? Happy to. Oh, I don't have my ding. There's no ding on this app. I'm going to have to add the ding in post. Going to have to manually ding. Oh, man. Okay, I'll leave, I'll leave some room for the ding. Okay. Actors, Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, Cynthia Erivo, Carrie Coon, Jackie Weaver, and Molly Coons. Co-writer, Gillian Flynn. Based on the novel by Linda LaPlante. Producers, Catherine Bridal, Rose Garnett, Sue Bruce Smith, and Bianca Steiker. Casting, Francine Maisler, Mickey Pascal, and Jennifer Rudnicki. Costume design, Jenny Egan. Set decoration, Elizabeth Keenan and art direction, Heather Ratliff. <laughs> nice work. It occurs to me the other hard thing was seeing each other is not breaking each other into Reacting. laughter. Because yes. <laughs> I kept the outline up that whole time so that I wasn't thinking about you seeing me and the thing and the thing. I tried not to look at you because I knew I wouldn't be able not to laugh. If I did, Bianca Stigger. Stigger. Do you want to do it again? No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know how one says it, but I love no. it. And I think. I, I think mean, there's an easy job. solution to this problem. What? No, don't do that. No, come back. Come back. It's, it's much more fun to see you. I miss you. I know. I miss you too. Um, okay. Those are a lot of people involved, and I do yeah. want to talk about lots of them. Yep. Uh, one more time, what is this film about? Following the death of their thief husbands during a botched robbery, a diverse group of Chicago women, led by the steely Veronica, played by Viola Davis, team up to pull off their own heist and save themselves from the criminal underworld in Widows. Dun, dun, dun. Very dun, nice. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. So we've given it away a little bit. We've tipped our hand mm -hmm. by how we feel about this movie because we That's chose true. to cover it again. Uh, not that I think we held back at all in our previous version that no one <laughs> heard about how much we like this movie. So 
when did you know as we were as you were watching this movie for the first time when did you know that this was a movie you really really dug Ooh, great question i mean she's thinking she's thinking i can see her thinking now <laughs> it, it's tough because i do want to give i think viola davis carries the movie um and is excellent in it but but truly for me i think cynthia revo is just so i have such a she just uh, brings me in when she's on screen i um i so love her and i think um so her and and in connection with that um i think probably the is it the second time they sort of all meet up when mm. Cynthia Revo is there as well. And so kind of so. that warehouse scene um, where they don't immediately get along or trust mm-hmm. each other or have a plan or any of that. And mm-hmm. and so it's it's not, okay, how do I say this? It's not the anti-Oceans 8, but mm-hmm. it's sort of like Oceans 8 is the sugar-free version of what <laughs> this is. Yes, yes, yes. Right? That's it's still what tasty. It's still fun. There's something missing and there's something added that just kind of doesn't sit on the palate as nicely. But mm-hmm. in a pinch or if you have other concerns, sugar-free will do just fine. So, um, <laughs> But I, unlike an Ocean's 8 kind of thing where it just seems like everybody rolls along with it, there's mm-hmm. a lot of who are you? What do you want from me? And um, I remember discussing previously, there's a lot of class. Mm-hmm. Um, involved in the um, there's a lot of uh, the differences in their socioeconomic backgrounds play a lot into their characters and how they mm-hmm. relate to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see we're we're with Viola Davis so much, and then kind of in her mind and her memory, um, and her beautiful like stark white yeah apartment right um. And like white dog and white right, furniture say, and right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sorry. Long story short, I think it's when when they're all together and and it. I see the band of misfits in front of me, which is how your about, bread and butter. Which I want. Which, yeah, uh, yeah, how about yeah. you? I think. Well, I went in obviously predisposed. I mean, obviously, I went in predisposed to really like the movie because of everything that I had n- known about it. So I was sort of anticipating the moment where I would say, "Yeah, this is as good a- as I imagined it would be." And I think it was really early. The, the The opening of the movie with the heist is intercut with um, flashbacks and flash forwards, and you don't quite know how everything is lining up exactly as you're meeting the families of the um, robbers as they're the botched robbery is going down. And, and the, 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 you never, it's like, you never quite finish a scene and you get like cut to this next scene. And then it's a, it's a fast motion thing as they're running away or driving away. And then it's, then there's a real still, you know, moment and the, the um, decisiveness with which the opening five minutes of this movie tells that part of the story is when I, like I, you just sort of, I, you can feel that you're in the hands of a good storyteller who knows, like, I know the story I'm telling you and I'm deciding how to give you each bit of information right. to keep you really engaged. And so I think, I think I had that sort of feeling within the first five minutes of the movie. 
Um, so since we first saw this movie, I have watched almost all of The Outsider, the HBO series where Cynthia Revo is one of the stars. Um, and my experience with her had been like, I haven't seen Harriet yet. Um, you know, I'd seen her on the Tonys or, you know, like I knew I knew of her and I knew there's like EGOT, uh, you know, swir- potential swirling around her, given that she's so good at so many things. Um, but to see her, I'm not sure I would have even recognized her in Out the Outsider um, from this because they're in some ways such different characters. I'm really, really impressed now with the like range. Not only is she totally locked in in this movie, but I've seen her sort of do so much, so many kind of different kinds of things, or I say two very different kinds of things um, that I, I am even more impressed with her now. Nice. And I was really impressed with her when I first saw this movie. But she is, yeah, you're totally right. She's locked in in this mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh, the Outsider is somehow Stephen King adjacent. Yeah, he wrote and the book. Scary. It is scary. Okay. Doppelgangery. Sure. It's a, it's more like noir. It's more like a Ooh. detective story, but the mystery unfold begins to unfold in a more supernatural way. A doppelgangery way. It's really actually pretty fascinating and really well done, but it is not. I can't watch much of it at night. Yeah. Hey. Which is why I'm only partway through. Can I? Sorry. I said, hey, and the dog looked at me like, what? <laughs> um, off topic, but not. Yeah. In this time, mm-hmm. my household has begun watching The X Files. Oh. Of which I had only ever seen that first movie. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. That's all yeah. I'd ever seen. Yeah. I understand for most people, it's fine. It's <laughs> scary. <laughs> and effed up. Now, do you find the, the like, lore ones more scary or, like, the one-offs were just going off to, like, the hunt the monster ones, right? Because there's, like, some episodes that follow the story story and then some episodes that are bottle episodes. Which are, are one is one more scary than the other? So far, aliens are less scary than the other things. Yeah. yeah. So, like, um, uh, insular religious community mm. With, mm. with pheromones or whatever, and mm-hmm. then Mulder goes down a cave into a womb and a thing, and, <laughs> and I'm just looking around like, is this normal? This happens every week? <laughs> Why is he wearing a suit? Like, I don't understand. Um, so if you wanted to gauge how how much of a lightweight I am when it comes to scariness, I get so stressed out that, like, the entire yeah. living room is reverberating yeah. with my stress. Um, so don't watch The Outsider. But I'll lock in for Cynthia Revo moment and then lock yeah, it out. Yeah, I'll send you a clip. Um, so that's something to get into. I know that we talked about a little bit before. Um this movie is, I think, I also really liked it because it is it is on the edge of what I enjoy watching. So there are aspects that are challenging. There's a couple of scenes that are, to me, just gross, violent, like the stabby, stabby part. I'm just yeah. like, why? But yeah. it's so good that I would go back to it or I would recommend it despite that or um, – and and I think because it's a, a little bit challenging to me, then that also, I don't know, somehow kind of elevates it of mm. I feel like I'm 
stretching slightly. <laughs> Although, again, it's um, it's not. I wouldn't say super violent, but it has super violent moments. Right, and it feels like there are moments where violence could happen. That kind yeah. of like any moment, like is the dog going to get hurt? <laughs> oh my god! Which of course, I googled right away. <laughs> yeah. So that's another reason I love this movie. Not only does the dog not die, but they very subtly take care of that for me, right? You see see from the outside, she takes the dog into a very zhuzhi boarding (laughs) situation. Right. But, you know, you don't see the conversation. You don't, it's, I think it's just nicely done of it's deliberate so that I as a viewer don't have to worry about that. Right. Um, and also so true to her character. I mean, this is her companion yeah. now, right? This is sort of the only person that she seems to really have – or the person, the only companionship Being. that she has, right? And 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 the uh, – or at least the intimate, right? And that, that there is a – you all, it also gets, as you're saying, to the um, class issue part too, right? Because you can afford this like fancy, yeah. fancy boarding place. Whereas, you know, Michelle Rodriguez has left her children home alone likely right. Right. because – Cynthia Riva was her babysitter. Right. Um, <laughs> Which I love. I love that. Um, I love that connection. So yeah. so yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, they're all coming from different places. I um Viola Davis is has means and and so let's talk about this. Where did you think they all kind of landed in terms of what they knew about their husbands and and Ooh. that, right? So the, yeah. the movie itself, there's a book with plans for a one last rodeo and some pe- people want the plans, but then also that last job that went bad, people want their money. So right. instead of bartering the plans for the debt, Bella Davis is like, F that, <laughs> we're going to do this job. Right, just to catch people in case people hadn't seen it and like yeah, wanted yeah. me to talk them through it. Um, <laughs> so what they have in common is that their husbands all were part of this crew, but it unfolds in like they weren't friends. You know what I mean? Right. right. Um, but I think they knew of each other. Yeah, I get that sense. It's it's you, you, the movie is not interested in having the conversation where they all sit down and say, "So I remember I met you at the barbecue at such and such," or like, "I've never seen you before." And you know, you're left to kind of if they know each other, you can, you have to pick up on some familiarity with them. And 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 I, it's a great question though the uh, wh- how much they knew about what their partners did, and I. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Like, and I, and I, what I what I'm curious about is if you thought like sometimes I thought that oh I wonder if what the movie's trying to tell us is that because the movie is so tied to these women's point of points of view, particularly Viola Davis, but the other characters as well, that, like their side of this traditionally male story, mm-hmm. a traditional male male told right the the point of view of these these kind of crime dramas is almost always male, and so the the sort of other side of this story is uh, interested in whether or not, not just whether or not they knew, but whether they allowed themselves to know mm-hmm. how much they allowed themselves. To, was it, is it easier when you have a, a partner that you love who is maybe, you know, um, providing for you or providing with you to not <laughs> pay attention right. to the clues or whatever? I don't know. And I'm curious about it. I felt that the movie was interested in that kind of, 
point of view, not in a way of like unwrapping it, but just having that be a through line in the uh, subtextual through line. Did you feel that Mm -hmm. way at all? It's a long pause. (laughs) He's really thinking. I can see her thinking. I'm not able to answer that question. Um, Was the movie less interested in, well, yes, I agree that it wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't about what they had when they had run into each other before or, or that kind of thing. But I, um, them having to seeing no other option other than to go through with this, yeah. um, sort of then I think f- f- forced them to draw on some strengths that, that weren't their kind of every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it felt to me like with Viola Davis, that she wasn't involved. Right. And I think the class that's part of it is like, you know, she was in her fancy apartment, all this, the grimy stuff was going down. However, the boss mentality seems Mm -hmm. like something that she and Leah Neeson shared. And so the logistical kind of stuff, I guess I felt like she had heard Mm -hmm. pieces of, or had Mm -hmm. been aware of, in that she was able to put this crew together and execute it. Um, Whereas uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character, you know, has this um, special occasion store, like a prom quinceanera weddingy. Yeah. Floofy dress store. Right. Um, But from the first time we see it, we see her husband coming in and out and, and uh, demanding money and, and things. And it seemed like to her, it was, this is my store. And to him, it was, this is a front mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for our other things. And, and I think it's, it's a good question. Did she, was it simply a difference in point of view? Right. Or was she kind of actively, you know what I mean? Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I'm using gestures yeah. <laughs> and that's not helpful to us. Um, <laughs> I certainly felt that the store was meaningful to her. And we see that in the end, like the whole circle piece of it. Um, But yeah, you know, I don't think she said to this guy, Hey, I'll open a store and you run money through the back kind of thing. She seemed a a little bit more um, put upon by the circumstances. Right. And then even more so when we get to the, um, Debecky, Debicky, what was her name? Elizabeth Debicki, yeah, her Alice. name, Alice, right, right. But it's like Alexia or something. Right, right. Um, so I think what Michelle Rodriguez and Alice had in common was there was certainly some power and control and domestic violence in their lives. Um, mm-hmm. And we see that I was, well, it's explicit with both of them, but I think, yeah, it's, I think it's highlighted clear. more with um, Alice's character right? Um, in that we see violence right there and the transactional nature of their relationship is also just right on the surface right so i think someone could write an undergraduate paper for a film class about how both viola davis and alice's care you know characters Mm -hmm. were in transactional relationships but one was made very clear to us and one was you know kind of hidden until it really comes down to it in the end now there's a thesis Somebody go write that. See, and if I had still been having in-person class, I would have shown. The other thing that happened over the course of the podcast last time we talked about this movie is that I pledged to, because not enough people had seen the movie, 
to make this the final film that we watched in a class that I teach at a movie, at a movie, at a movie theater. We're going to screen this in the, on the big screen for this class. And, and they could have written about it, but uh, now because of the, you know, state of the world, uh, we had to move to only uh, easily streamable movies. <laughs> so mm. we, we, we didn't get to get to do this, but this could have, that could have, that would have been an excellent sort of topic. Speaking of people having seen this movie, did you know that our mother watched this movie between the yes, last time? Because we who told her to? This well, guy. You did. Okay. Okay. But, because so, I thought it was something they could watch together. Right. Which they did. And I talked her through all the things that happened Perfect. so that she would, because our mother, as we've probably talked about on this podcast before, likes to know the endings of stories, especially if there's some suspense involved, likes to know the big turning points and the, and this is a thing that shocks some people. Some people are not used to people watching, uh, sort of taking in media this way, but to us standing in a bookstore, reading the last two chapters of the book before they decide (laughs) to buy it or not. The final chapters. You know, I was telling this story to someone else not too long ago on Twitter and they were, or maybe texting, and they were telling me that they read the last sentence of a book before they buy the book, which like, I understand the last chapter from mom's point of view because she wants to know, is this, how's this going to turn out? Like, I, I get, I understand that. I do not understand what reading the last sentence. That seems to like, you don't get the benefit of finding out if your characters live or die, but you do lose the punch of whatever that last line is of the book. So That seems like, Worse than opening in the middle and just reading a sentence. I think so. I, the Very last strange. sentence is like, anyway, I, we're way off topic. But anyway, yes, our mom watched the movie and she and she and I, we gave her the like sort of roadmap of Good. the things that happened, including the dog so that it wouldn't come out of um, out of nowhere. And my understanding is they both liked it. I sounds like they did. Again, out of the comfort zone a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not a thing that. They necessarily would have watched without a little prodding from you. So I'm glad you did. Um, Prodding and uh, preparation. (laughs) So one of the things that I remember us talking about, partly because I have it in my notes from the first time we talked about this movie, is the idea that there is a. That Liam Liam Neeson's casting as Mm. the lead bank robber of this crew and ultimate bad guy of the ultimately a bad guy in the movie is that that is no accident because there have been so many i don't even want to necessarily say cheesy because they're not all cheesy but so many generic in the true sense of the word genre action you know movies um is like that's he's he's like a a, a, a genre convention of that yeah. genre. Like he shows up and you're like, Oh, this must be that kind of movie. He is and like so, vigilante anti-hero. That's so, yeah, exactly. And so the idea that there, that there is that that movie is going on, mm-hmm. but, but this, the camera, we in this don't movie, care. no, it doesn't, doesn't care unless it impacts directly on the, uh, physical or emotional space of the women going through the story in this. And so mm-hmm. the, the, which is, I think part of what can be disconcerting for people who, who aren't really, who maybe aren't prepped for the movie or that, that because the movie go uh, shows us scenes that sometimes these kinds of movies don't. And then there mm-hmm. are scenes that we don't see of the plot having to do with Colin Farrell's running for this, um, 
this, uh, you know, local, local city council, alderman, whatever kind of seat. And there's an election going on and there's like, he's a, he's a crook and the other guy's running against is a crook, but neither of them are crooks to, you know, to the outside world, all this sort of stuff that would be unfolding all the back room stuff that you would get to see in the generic version of this movie in the, in the traditional genre version. Of the movie. This movie's like, no, we're following these women doing this other thing, but you can sort of every time, every once in a while we dip back into that movie Right. The Liam Neeson movie. And I find that in this movie so fascinating and so satisfying. Did, did, um, I don't have a question. I did not get that, right? You, (laughs) you had to point that out to me, but once you pointed that out, because also I'm not a person who watches that genre. Right. I know, I know Liam Neeson as a a vigilante punchline, um, (laughs) but that's not my series. Um, you're kidding. (laughs) <laughs> so that wasn't i did not get that level but once yeah. you ex, once you shared your experience of it then i thought damn that's clever yeah right and not only yeah. is it great casting because we believe it and because folks would believe he had a career like this or that you know his other movie was going on but also to put liam neeson in this movie and then for all intents and purposes kill him in yeah. the first five minutes right Although then we find out he is actually alive and right. a bastard. Um, Several times there's, over. There's one other um, woman. Mm-hmm. So there were four of them in the um, crew for this job. And we come to find out that the the fourth wife, the fourth <laughs> widow. Yep, there you go. Slightly better. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is harboring Liam Neeson. He's still right. alive. He orchestrated the demise of the crew mm-hmm. and has a, a baby with this other, uh, the another widow, another the, widow, the other wife of the thing. Um, and she's not involved in the scheme. Right. Uh, we visit her once or twice to find out about that. And so, you know, Cynthia Revo is the fourth instead of the other wife but i um i lost my point so i'd love it if you could pick it up and find one well just the um carrie coon plays the the other widow i don't know what we're calling her the other widow um and the other woman uh, the other the other woman the other widow woman um and she's a a, a wonderful actor and and was um uh was on that was left the leftovers uh the hbo series was like you know nominated for things maybe even won awards like she's she and she's fantastic in that show um but she and she and so you i expected her to expected there to be more of her in this movie and a i'm wondering is if maybe there was and it was cut Mm. out or b She's not you, know, you hire Carrie Coon because she's enough known that people will be like, oh, at least I know her from something like they, mm-hmm. you might expect her to be a little bit more in it in the same way that you expect Liam Neeson to be in more of the movie. And so sure. because the Liam Neeson movie of Liam Neeson is this put upon guy who's going to like to get out of this life, has to kill his crew because they probably backstabbed him somewhere along the way. And then he has to lie low until he can, you know, get the bad guy and get the money and get out of town. That, that version of the movie, she would be a big part of that movie. And right. probably Viola Davis would be the, the antagonist of that movie who screws up his plans. Um, and so casting somebody who is a little well known because mm-hmm. he didn't have to cast 
someone that anyone would know, uh, an Emmy nominated or winning actor in that role. Uh, and I think that that I think not only because not, I think not only smart because she's a good actor, but but canny in terms of the way the story is told, because you might expect there to be more of her because of who she is. Do you have I think we talked about this last time. Uh, if you were to go on a heist, which one of these women would you go with? If it was a two person job. Who'd you oh, choose? Who would I go with? Yeah, yeah. Probably Viola Davis because of her um like the mastermind mm-hmm. nature of it. And I would be very good at like doing what she told me to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at, at yeah. thoroughly following directions. Yeah. So I would need in this scenario when I, I am not a heist manager of any kind, <laughs> I would need, <laughs> I would need, that's the skills. Those are the skills I would need. And like the guts to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She totally, I don't think we ever see her waiver. It's all very mm-hmm. um, determined that mm-hmm. this is, what has to be done, um, you know, because their all their lives are being threatened because of this debt, um, and it, and it's interesting because Viola Davis could solve that one way for all of them, just handing over the book, right? But that's that's also another not a movie that this is. Right. That's not a good phrase, but this is not a movie of trying to decide which route. Like right, she picks right. the route. Right, right. Right. And it's not the easier route. Like she picks the harder no. route. But there's a more there's a lot more self-determination. The the um other another thing I love about what the movie does as a movie and with the Viola Davis character is that you see her piece this all together. Mm-hmm. You see her figure these things out a piece at a time and you know, um, I, I am it, it offend is too strong a word. It rubs me the wrong way when movies skip the investigative steps of things and character, everything just sort of falls to a character. And they're like, Oh, I know what this is. And, and I have everything figured out and it's all sort of handed to them where they make the easiest, whatever. And, the, mm-hmm. and to see her make all the, like have to, she's, she's determined and she's pushing forward, but she's shrewdly doing it. And mm-hmm. to see her sort of make those decisions and those turns of how she's going to take this route is um, kind of delicious. And, you know, it gives an actor a lot to, to chew on. Yeah, certainly. Uh, like you say, satisfying is a great word for a lot of things in this, like how <laughs> the movie, I think the pacing mm. and, you know, thinking about what could have been left on the cutting room floor. I feel like it's, we get to know these people enough. We, they're, you know, at least our crew is, um, you know, formed enough that we care about them, but it doesn't waste a lot of time. There's no like assembling shit montages, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it's just, it's sleek, I think, in how it um, travels. And they're not burdened by the likability thing. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're not trying to make – the dog is not used to make Viola Davis more likable. The kids mm-hmm. aren't used to make Michelle Rodriguez more likable. They're painted as human beings who are um, – who have rough edges with one another and with themselves and with the world. And also turns out that they all come together at this moment to pull off this thing that they couldn't right. have done separately and even in another – 
configuration would or another moment wouldn't wouldn't have been able to do. But that I I I love the fact that they're not softened in the way mm-hmm. that sometimes characters, especially women uh, characters, get softened in these kinds of movies, right? Made more likable because they're wor- and a word an audience won't, you know, um, really be on their side or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Connect with them, which feels really pandering to me. Uh, and this movie doesn't pander. No. It just goes. <laughs> in addition to a lack of uh, assembly montage, they also don't um, teach one of the women how to do something montage. Yeah. Right? We don't see them... <laughs> figuring out how to be a getaway driver we don't see you know pedantic uh, shooting lessons or anything <laughs> the gun range scene <laughs> right yes yeah. some of them have skills right we know cynthia revo is a fantastic sprinter athlete we've seen it in her like personal life so we can see it here right um again viola davis has like the logistics and all that and she gives um the other two women like tasks jobs to do um in preparation and it's not about them figuring out how to do it you know and in fact michelle rodriguez is not successful um because she doesn't know how to infiltrate and <laughs> right. architecture right. or i don't even know <laughs> what um and so they had to figure out like with the tools at my disposal how can we get this done? And mm-hmm. it turns out that Alice is um, an escort. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one of her clients and her seems to be like a regular client, potentially moving into a different kind of relationship, had access to these things. And so, right. and I think that's the only kind of, oh, it's a kawinky dink we get. But, but it also felt very much like, no, we're figuring out with the, with the skills that we have and the, uh, spheres we have that we have control over how are we going to accomplish these things and in a very you know desperate way but also satisfying yes and they're given the yeah and, and the, the um the lucas haas character it's there's there's a uh <gasps> did you not know That's that, who that was? was yeah yeah Oh, we did learn something new this time around yeah <laughs> whoa yeah feelings okay all, grow, all grown up all grown uh, up and getting pickers <laughs> and and that the, the uh i hadn't thought about this until you had talked earlier about the transactional nature of those relationships but that being elizabeth debicki alice transacting her own you know taking a different tack of transaction right of like she was the relationship with her was it a was it a husband or was it a I Boyfriend. thought it was a husband. I think but. it's a husband. I guess it's all widows. So I, um, <laughs> but but that that she seems you know, and she she feels conflicted a little bit about the transactional nature of her relationship with um, Lucas Haas when that when it comes up to that when it when it mm-hmm. she when she realizes when what she can down. get right even though of course what she's in with him is a transactional relationship because <laughs> she is an escort and he's her client and like so anyway it's interesting the way the movie doesn't surface any of that stuff it's just it's all there for you to kind Mm -hmm. of unpack if you're if you're looking for it i want to ask you about another character it's not one of the women yeah it's time we should probably talk about the men and they'll get upset i mean we've we've talked about protesting we've talked about leaving music but i'm curious what you thought of daniel kaluuya's performance in this movie he plays the 
muscle, the cousin of the bad guy running for office. Oh my god, yes, thank you. The guy you. from Get Out, the actor yes, from Get Out. thank you, thank you. Oscar nominated uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Thank you. Stabby Stab, Mr. Stabby Stab. I just didn't remember any of the men in it, except um, you mentioned Colin Farrell. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the muscle, the scary guy. Yes, this is the person we see do violence. I mean, right, he right. was absolutely creeptastic to me. Totally. <laughs> in this. And I the other um there's an another uh, scene of violence uh we learn early on that um the uh, Viola Davis's driver may know more about what's going on or kind of who the contacts are in that um right. kind of because of their relationship then um that you know the driver is killed and that's yeah i think that's his if you know if i were going to um give a clip of of that performance it would be that you know because not only like he's the muscle but he's he's not always like he doesn't he no longer gets his hands that actual physically dirty he's got guys for that and so (laughs) you know we see his his guys um kind of pouncing on the driver and then he just turns the tv up and that was chilling yeah yeah chilling and i um other than get out what else have i seen daniel kuluya in i'm not sure Did did you see uh black panther yes um yeah he's wakabi in black panther um, mm. you would recognize him, I think, in the costume. Um, he's in Sicario. Did you see Sicario? I still haven't. And people talk about that. We should maybe do Sicario. Not real soon because it's kind of similar in ways. But um, I feel like Emily Blunt um, does a lot. Like she does a lot of good work in that movie. He, uh-huh. He's her, kind of her partner in that movie. That's another kind of he's a good guy. He's not the good guy, but like he's a, you know, um, he. To, to one of the things I, and then Queen and Slim is the most recent thing he was in, which I think is on Netflix. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Uh, he is a, uh, a, a wonderfully charismatic screen actor. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to, people talked a lot about him carrying all those close up close ups and get out, like all the, the shots just of his yeah. face as he's going mm-hmm. through things, which is, and all, I mean, what a hard thing for an actor to do to have a camera smushed in your face and have to like, I mean, I'm not enjoying it right now. (laughs) You're doing a great job though. I would nominate you for this performance. Um, But he, but he was never a sociopath. Like he's never the, Mm. that. And, and one of the things that I think that um, Steve McQueen is really good at and has shown time and again in his movies is casting actors and seeing something a little bit different in what they can do. Mm. I think of Carrie Mulligan and shame. Um, I think of, um, uh, well, a lot of the actors in, um, uh, even, uh, Fassbender in, um, uh, 12 years a slave, um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o in 12 years a slave. Like he, he's, he finds new facets in actors, um, I, she's not a good example because that was kind of her first big breakout thing. But he'll find new he'll find new sides uh, no, to actors that they have, haven't right, haven't been able to show before. And he, sh- I mean, Daniel Kaluuya is just like he's so scary, he's so he's scary so in this movie. It's that like <laughs> chaos and restraint. Ooh, yeah, tension good that call. makes him so scary. And and you're right, he he plays the intensity of that. There's so Ooh. much energy and 
in his face and in his performance mm. that he was creepy so much so that I don't even remember the guy that was running the candidate. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So really more it's, it's the, um, Daniel Kalia's character and Colin Farrell that are like the crooks on either side. Right. But as, as you said, kind of different, different kind of crooks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like this movie so much. It's a good, so much. It's a good so movie. much there. Uh, do we need to say anything about Colin Farrell? That hasn't been said already. Fine. The world. No, I don't <laughs> I, think so. I think he did. I think he did fine. I believed him. Um, I believed he was appropriately sweaty and dismissive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was a white man politician. It's a, it's another thing of like you you hire this actor who's like mm-hmm. at, at one time was a leading man to play a character who he would play in this kind of movie in the Liam Neeson movie. I mean, it's just it's so it's so smartly done. Yeah. Uh, I um uh and then of course Robert Duvall who has always seemed old. Right. Thank you. We did talk about that. Yeah, he's one of those people that was old when I was a kid because he was playing like the curmudgeon. Um, Newsies, right? Isn't he, uh, yeah, <laughs> mogul. Not <laughs> even <laughs> Newsies when I was a child. Um, so yeah, he was, but he was old in this, and was he was fairly openly racist in this film? Yeah, am I yeah. recalling that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> so just gross all the way around. And that white man politician, uh, you know, Chicago, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The only other thing I have is the end. And, and I think it's just Ooh, more yeah, right. praise to heap up on it. Do it. Praise it. We have praise this me. scene where Viola Davis. So we, we, they do the heist as it happens. They are successful. All, but also, something goes wrong and in the course of it Alice is shot and we don't know what happened after that it's sort of they get away oh you know what then there's that whole thing with Liam Neeson and that's not even what I'm talking about oh really Should okay we talk we'll about talk about that, about that too yeah. well, you can do <laughs> we'll this part first. first oh you're right the end end you're talking about the, end, the end 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 oh, this, yes. this is how much this is not Liam Neeson's movie I forgot <laughs> that there's like a showdown yes <laughs> because Liam Neeson also like didn't expect them to be successful. He didn't no. expect them to try. No. Right. She would just hand over the book and it would be fine. And then that they're trying. And then she's like fueled by all this situation to yep. really kick ass. And then they're successful. Suddenly Liam Neeson is in the warehouse with Viola Davis of like, you have to give me this money. What? Yeah. Absolutely not. And then they have it out. Yeah. And it's the fact that she um, doesn't hesitate to kill him when mm-hmm. she has to. And yeah, we then, talked about that a long t- for a long time last time we did. The other this. thing we talked about, I think, is when she like crawls over to him, and it feels like it's going to be this like. I love you or like the yeah. I'm, I'm clutching and there's some like she does feel she's so good at playing um uh conflicted 
Viola mm-hmm. Davis, like determined in one thing, but it's not easy. Like that's kind of right. a, a, a double gear that she can operate in and, and that she, what she's, but, but it, it's more like, I need to make this look like he killed himself. And, you know, right. I, and yeah, I think Sorry, it's funny. I'm remembering the scene and I'm remembering our conversation. And so I'm getting <laughs> confused. Um, but I remember being very nervous because I, I also, you know, my mind was doing a few different things like what's going on. And part of me thought she was going to like curl up next to him. Yeah. Yeah. It has that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It just, and then I was afraid she was going to shoot herself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that would not have ever been true. So, but it, it, it's my fear. Whenever there's a gun in the room, I'm always afraid someone's going to shoot. Well, well, I think also it's that the uh, Steve McQueen and Viola Davis and Gillian Flynn know what women are usually mm-hmm. expected to do in these kinds of movies. Like you're, even though your lover betrayed you and tried to kill you, you had to kill them. Is there anything left to live for? And it turns out, right. Fuck yeah, there's yeah. a lot to live for. Like everything. the dog, if nothing else. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I think I think the movies the movies smart enough to know that we will have that reaction because we have been e- even Trained. if you just know you know just know stories like Western canon stories, right. you know that that kind of thing. So anyway, I interrupted you, but that's the I think. I mean I think Romeo that's really and Juliet, eh? Totally, totally. Right, right. Um. So yeah, that happened and that was very important to the film. <laughs> what I was talking about was, um, you know, fade to black and then it's, I don't remember what they say, six months later, a year later. And, and we see just a little bit of what they're reclaiming in their life, but not a lot because it's right. a lot of it is left for, um, you know, for us to decide. But Viola Davis is in a diner and Alice is there too. But they're not sitting together. Right, right. Um, but what I felt so was so fantastic in that scene, um, one that they both kept cool, right? Because there's this whole like we're never going to see each other again thing. But I was like, oh my gosh, Alice is alive, and I felt like Viola Davis was thinking, oh my gosh, Alice is alive, because right, they just right. they made it very clear, like we're going different directions, right. We don't know each other. Good luck, everybody. Um, yeah. And so the the way that that's set up, that they're the also I think you would expect when I saw Viola Davis going into the diner, I assumed she was meeting one of them and to right. reconcile and all that. But they're not even sitting together. <laughs> right, right. It's right. just the mirrors and the way that shot. I feel like we talked about the way that shot and had something profound to say about it last time. Yeah, um, insert profundity here. Yeah. Exactly. And then um, I think it ends with uh, Viola Davis leaving the diner, like following Alice out right. and right. kind of being like, hey, and then it's over. Cut to black. So we don't get their resolution, right? <laughs> right? She could have said, F off, or I'm sorry, ma'am, I don't know right. you. Or, you? Yeah. or yeah. they could hug and go back and have lunch together. Like, we don't know, but I'm so glad they didn't give us a... Okay, I, I do love Harry Potter, but like, they didn't give us a Dumbledore and Harry at the end of the book. Yeah, right. Like every book, we like recap it and then get the lesson out of it. And so, like, they didn't Dumbledore us here. This they is a really way for children, it. in other words. Oh, is that for children? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't read it till I was an adult. Me neither. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. The, the the 
and this is, I think, a thing that is true of all these Steve McQueen movies is he just he is, has no interest in insulting our intelligence at all, our both our emotional intelligence, our in, intellectual mm-hmm. intelligence, and or or our sort of like movie or you know screen story intelligence. Right. Like Real he's savvy. he's not talking yeah. down to us, you know, uh, and and knows when to get out of a movie. Um, I think the editing of this movie is so good. I think this is so beautifully cut. This movie, it's so clear about where you know the we're moving here now that we're going here and we're going and it has that it's not um showy it's just mm. decisive uh in ways that i think like like viola davis like it echoes her in 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 ways right and um i think yeah. it's so smart so really, we really like this movie folks. smart movie smart movie smart folks movie. <laughs> oh my goodness um hey tobin hey, would you Iceland. like to play a game love to play a game okay. i love i love games and i don't remember this game at all so it could be the same game and i wouldn't know it's a similar game but with different questions but this a similar premise okay um i am just trying to be able to see my notes and you at the same time this is not something i've done before so as we've established Liam Neeson has been in a lot of action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, he and a lot of other men are in um, a lot of movies where they are killed. Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. And various folks have put together lists of how often someone has died in their career. Oh, um, okay. And so this is, so for reference. Okay. And this is based on 2017 data from IMDb in an article. So okay, 2017, okay. I'm sorry. I'm not going to ask you for specific numbers. You're going to have to tell relations. Well, that's when the movie was made, right? 2017. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. But I'm saying it in terms of what, so there, so I'm giving you Liam Neeson, according to this, has died 24 times. His character has died 24 times Wow. out of 119 appearances. Wow. Okay. So that's Liam Neeson's at 24. That's baseline. Okay. Okay. So your task, I'm going to give you the name of an actor, or I do have a couple actresses on this list, but mostly actors. You're going to tell me if they've died more times or less times than Liam Neeson. Okay. Okay. So for example, oh, our friend Mickey Rourke. Died on screen. Do you mean his character perishes or, or or the performance just kind of dries up? Like somebody died on stage, you know what I mean? Yeah. You I mean think perish. they mean character. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um <laughs> I'm gonna say fewer times than 24. You are correct. <sighs> Yay. Although, according to this, not by much, 22. Oh, really? Oh, I would not have guessed that high. I would have guessed like 15, 12, 15. Okay. Okay. Um, next up. Oh, gosh. How about this one? Okay. A Gary Busey. <laughs> same question. I have the same question. Um, I'm going to say, okay, I, th- God, I'm tempted to say fewer, but I'm going to say more because it feels like. He'd live on the, his characters live on the edge a little more. So I'm going to say more, more times. Well, I agree with your sentiment. That is not correct. According oh, to man. this list, he's died 19 times, but he oh. had 
but out of 172 credits, <laughs> yikes! That's, he he been around. <laughs> he's, been, he's been working. <laughs> All right, Tobin. Yeah. Has Samuel L. Jackson? Oh. Died more times or less times than Liam Neeson on screen? Fewer. 28, it says. No, really? Also out of 176. Yeah, he's he works a lot. Yeah, and I guess maybe he's like gone. pre-Pulp Fiction, he probably died more. Mm-hmm. Now, was, maybe? where are you going to put network favorite Nicolas Cage? <sighs> Oh, uh, fewer. Fewer is correct. Fewer, Only 14. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's get a lady in here. Okay. Um, a Ms. Sigourney Weaver. Oh, More see, times how many times has she died in alien movies alone? Um, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say fewer. Correct. Fewer. 13 deaths. But 13? that's a okay. lot. That seems like a lot. That's it's a lot in of the dying. top 15. How about one more? Okay. Yeah. Give me another. A Charlize Theron. Also network favorite. Yes, of course. Yes. Now this is tough because I'm tempted to say fewer because I, but I'm wondering if this is like a trick and it's actually more. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going to say fewer because 24 is a, seems like a lot. I'm going to say fewer. 25. <gasps> no way. And I thought you would get it because you could see my face. <laughs> it's funny. I should have been looking more closely at your face. <laughs> Said no one. <laughs> so that's, oh, uh, that's the game, and I think. Oh, uh, great game. You've done well. Um, again, I don't stand behind any of the data. I just right. pulled it offline. Uh, so, you know, it must be the truth. Dr. Phil you're, told me. <laughs> Topical. Oh, boy. You're, you're, um, you're, foot, you're footnoting at IMDb. <laughs> exactly. No, I don't want to save this document. Okay. Oh, thank you for playing, Tobin. Thank you for this. This is a fun, fun to do a game face-to-face. I can't wait till we have a guest and can do games face-to-face, too. It's going to be a while. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm so excited. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> now is the point in our podcast where we talk about whether this movie is progressive or regressive and give our final thoughts. What say you to Widows? I don't think it's going to come as a shock. Absolutely progressive. Um, you brought up that likability my, with my air quotes factor that uh, I think a standard that female characters are held to that's different than, than male characters or... Um, Non-binary characters, if we're in stories that are <laughs> telling them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've rambled. Yes, progressive. <laughs> awesome. You heard that list of names that I shared at the beginning. There are so many powerful, talented, gorgeous women in front of and behind the camera. Um, I can't wait to watch the special features that highlight them on the DVD at your house. <laughs> what about you? I completely disagree. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yes, of course. This is a wonderful movie and and does a fantastic job uh, of highlighting how this, how we have been conditioned to expect a certain kinds of things from certain kinds of movies based on whose point of view 
that movie is from. And I think this this movie feels to me in conversation, as they say, with those other mm-hmm. movies and and harshly critiquing uh, our expectations. And it yet is able to sort of provide all the the, the things that we do expect from these kinds of movies, I feel, which, which is why I think we rem- you recommended it to our parents to watch together, that they mm-hmm. could both get like there's things Something. for everyone to get out of this movie, you know. Um, if you if you understand going into it, you're not going to get the generic version. So, uh, uh, progressive thumbs up, love it, and we should uh, all watch it more often. Absolutely. If you haven't seen it, please go out and find it. And if you have, um. Get on. I was about to say, get a friend. Don't stay at home. Yeah. But do one of those virtual parties that the kids are doing (laughs) and watch it together with your friend and introduce someone to this film. Please. Absolutely. Please. And future semesters, I will find ways to put it up in put it in a a class syllabus for sure. Me too. Aislinn, what are we going to watch next time? That's a great question. And based on the notes you gave me, <laughs> next time we're going to watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood coming May 26th. Have you seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood yet? I have not. I saw the documentary. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Yeah. And what I've heard from people is this is a very different animal. And so mm-hmm. like, you can live in a universe with both of them. Yep. I've not seen it yet. Our copy arrived today. I can send you a DVD uh, oh, and um, so that you can watch it. But I think it will be we 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 are behind the times in getting to a Mario Heller movie. And I feel like um, I don't know. I kind of want to start with this one. OK, I that feel like sounds our great. times need Fred Rogers. Sorry, go ahead. Amen. Uh Agreed. And um, may I introduce a new segment called Iceland's Recommendations? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I wish people could see your, your <laughs> mini jazz hands you did with your finger jazz, jazz fingers. Yes, of course you can. Spirit, the spirit fingers, I believe. I'm sorry. Well, they're right by your face, though. Like, uh... <laughs> they are jazz fingers. <laughs> okay. okay. You see when you jazz fingers. Um <laughs> What are you recommending to us? Yes, when we're stuck in a in a land of streaming, um, Unorthodox is a um, four part um, series on Netflix um, based on a memoir by Deborah Feldman um, about it's a a, a young woman's um, escape um, from an an insular um, Hasidic community. As I'm a person who has studied a lot of conservative religion, um, including ultra-Orthodox Judaism. And so I, I love when things are portrayed. I love when things are portrayed with integrity. And uh, according to the small amount of research I've done, this was. Um, it is the first, like, series in Yiddish, although it's Yiddish and English. Um, so for representation, it's just... Huge. Um, the source materials by a woman. Um, the the creator of the series are two women, and um, the director is a woman, and it's about a woman. So it fits our criteria. Yay. It's four parts. You will laugh. You will cry. If you're me, you'll get nervous. Um, and uh, they like you they, do the X Files. <laughs> like I do the X Files. They just took such care to represent um, this community and. Uh, and it's fascinating and gender and history and, and historical trauma and 
I really liked it and it meets our criteria, but it's a TV show, so we're not going to do it. So that's Maybe my recommendation. We should do a special episode on it. Okay, then take out everything I just said. No, no, no. This gives people a chance to like they should be watching it because okay. you never know when it's going to drop because I've not finished it yet. So, And I stopped a couple of times. I was not always in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I right. waited until I found that. And then there's a little 22-minute making of. Um, oh, cool. That. So anyway, folks, if you're out in the Netflix world, that's when I really liked. Yay. Fine. No good favorite. recommendation. I liked it. <laughs> oh goodness so tobin yes um if folks want a recommendation from you where can they find you boy they can find me on twitter once again i am full show on the twit these days Tobin's back <laughs> and he has an agenda <laughs> I, have, I do have an agenda i spent i spent a few weeks tweeting one thing every day in addition to other things I was tweeting and I do have an agenda, don't I? I'm really mad. I mean, I agree with it. <laughs> I'm really angry. And that's, I vent some, some of that. And also I miss Derek. Uh, I miss Derek's I tweets when I'm not on Twitter. So shout out to favorite guest, oh. uh, Derek Heckman, who is a Herrick Deckman on Twitter is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is so good. So yes, you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, all one word, Iceland. Where can people find you? If they want you to. You find me scrolling through Tobin's anger tweets, rage tweets um, on Twitter at SassyNerdMT. And you can find us on Twitter at Contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. A special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Sean Flynn and Jeff Addington. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me, and you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at Cage Club Pod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Tobin Addington. I'm Aislinn Addington. And we'll see you next time on The Contenders. And we really see each other. I know. Okay, I'm going to stop it now. Yay! You tell me when you're ready. I have all my old notes here. Uh, I'm ready. Oh, that's good. One of us is prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I guess I'm not ready. I want to see what this thing is that's saying here. It's two. What's the two? Oh, these are our recordings. Okay, good. Just checking my interface. Great. Okay.